When someone asked St. Francis of Assisi why and how he could accomplish so much, he replied, This may be why. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the earth and said, Where can I find the weakest, the littlest, the meanest man on the face of the earth? Then he saw me and said, Now I've found him and I will work through him. He won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his littleness and insignificance. I'm reminded of Moses, who when he was a young man in Acts, he wanted to save his people, but he was not ready. He was too full of himself. And so God led him on a journey, and that journey took him to the back of the desert where he led sheep. And then when he was 80 years old, God says, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he says, no, Lord, I can't do it. So Moses' life is basically split into three parts. He spent 40 years in Egypt thinking he was a somebody. He spent 40 years in the desert learning he was a nobody. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness with the children of Israel learning that God could take a nobody and make him into a somebody. So this morning as we open our Bibles to Psalm 119, 25 to 32, um, we see that this section of the psalm, I think, focuses on the dependence that we have on the Word of God. Now, that seems a little redundant because the whole psalm kind of talks about that, but I think this section really zeroes in. So this is the section of Dallas, starting with verse 25 of Psalm 119, and I am just going to read this whole section, and then we will open in a word of prayer. Psalm 119, 25-32 reads, My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness, strengthen thou me according to thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. I will run the way of thy commandments, when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be once again under the sound of your word and we pray that we would be challenged and chained by it we know that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it is that it will accomplish that which it uh, is sent forth to do because you say that your word will not return void and we claim that promise today in jesus name amen so if you're taking notes the first point of my message today is dependence on God's word brings understanding and strength. Dependence on God's word brings understanding and strength. 
For that, we will look at the first three verses of our section. And so I'm just going to read those three at once again. And it says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so that I shall talk of thy wondrous works. So, the first verse of this section really talks of a desperation that the psalmist has. He says, My soul cleaveth to the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. We've all had times when we are at our lowest point or when we are feeling very low. I, I talked before the service about one of my low points, which was the death of my baby brother when I was 13 years old. And I was I was low. I was about as low as you can possibly get. And I just, I cried out to God a lot in that year. It's kind of interesting to me that even though I was angry with God um, through that time, I don't think there was ever a time when I stopped crying out to God. There were definitely times when I cried out to God and I felt like he wasn't listening or maybe he didn't hear me or maybe I didn't cry out loud enough, but I never stopped crying out to God. And I'm thankful that he continued to show himself faithful. And the psalmist says, quicken thou me according to thy word. Again, one of the things I really love about the psalms is that the psalmist doesn't claim his own merit. He's fully resting on the merit of the Lord. He says, quicken thou me according to thy word. So he's resting on the reputation of God. And then he says in verse 26, I have declared my ways and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. And I I think that's so key here because the first thing we need to do before we come to God, Hebrews says, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. First thing we need to do to come to God is to be honest about ourselves and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. So once the psalmist has declared his way and he knows the Lord has heard him, he says, teach me thy statutes. Once we come to the end of ourselves and see that God is the only way to help us, then he can come to us and help us. And then verse 27, make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. So the psalmist is crying out for understanding. First, He's cleaving to the dust, and he's crying out for strength, and then he's also crying out for understanding and asking God, once again, based on his own reputation, to give us understanding. The proverb says, "Lean, uh, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. To whom shall the godly fly when life faileth, but to the wellspring of life? Even as to remove cold, the next way is to draw near the fire. So to dispel any death, the next way is to look at him to who is our root, by whom we live this natural life. 
All preservatives and restoratives are nothing. All colleges of physicians are vanity if compared with him. Other things which have not life give life as the instruments of him who is life, as fire burneth being the instrument of heat. When heart and flesh fail, God is the strength of my heart. As a man can let a fire almost go out, which had been kindled, and then blow it up, and by application of new fuel make it blaze as much as ever, so can God deal with the flame of life which he hath kindled. Paul Bain Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Uh, we're also told that if the branch does not bear fruit, it will be cut away um, and hewn and thrown away so that it does not hinder. So we know that the only way to really bear fruit and go forward for God is to be abiding in the vine. And the vine, of course, is Jesus. Can we look by way of cross-reverence at Romans seven, twenty-two to 25? Romans seven twenty-two to 25. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin of death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am, I am a slave to sin. So, Paul, one of the greatest uh, writers of the New Testament, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel, he is saying that it is, daily, it is his daily experience that he struggles with sin. And apart from the grace of God, he serves sin. Even the last verse of the chapter, he's like, with my spirit I serve God, but in my flesh I serve sin. So he's saying that the answer is Jesus Christ. And for the psalmist, he is, in the beginning of this psalm, cleaving under the dust, desperate, he has nowhere to go, but he declares his way to the Lord, and now he's ready to learn the statutes of the Lord and to understand more fully the way of God's precepts. And then he's able to talk of God's wondrous works. When God does a work in someone's life, he does it in such a way that we can't help but share it with others. Because when God changes a man, he doesn't do a half job. He does it totally and completely. And that is such an amazing thing to know. I have this little poem here. It says, All our strength that once would fail us, if deserted, Lord, by thee, nothing then could aught avail us, certain our defeat would be. Those who hate us, thenceforth their desire would see. So if we were deserted by the Lord, we could not accomplish anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Sometimes we approach the Christian life as if I'm 70% of the way there, and if Jesus comes alongside me, then I can get to 100. But the Bible says that without Christ, we were dead, and he made us alive through Christ. What a wonderful truth.
So our second point today is dependence on God brings humility. Dependence on God brings humility. Psalm 119, 28, and 29. So we continue to read in our passage, and we see, My soul melteth for heaviness, strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. So the psalmist is saying that he was he was in this state of his soul melting from heaviness, the heaviness of his sin. And then he says, strengthen me according to thy word. And then he says, remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. So the psalmist is talking about here. He says, I know my sins. They're leading to heaviness for me. And I also know your word. And because I know your word, I can trust you to remove from me the way of lying and allow me to follow your law. There's a prevailing wisdom in the world today that man is basically good, but Romans tells us no one seeks after God. No one is good. So the very fact that we are seeking after God is a mercy of God where he reached down and made himself known to us so that we could accept him. And the Bible does say, whosoever will may come. I believe that wholeheartedly. But I also believe Jesus when he said, no man comes unto me except the Father draws him. So at some point in our life, if we are redeemed, it's because the Father God who created us drew us to himself and said, look on my son and be saved. There's an old hymn that says, look and live. And we all need to do that if we want to be saved from our sins. Strengthen, command me according to your word. Strengthen, of course, is figuratively referring to making my heart, mind, and soul, and spirit firm and sure. The Septuagint rendering it bebeo, which means to establish, make sure to strengthen inwardly, make unwavering and again um, not as if we are commanding God but more of crying out in desperate urgent need for his intervention now God's part is to strengthen internally but our part is not passive but is to be an active intake of the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to salvation and be spiritually strengthened And that is from Precept Austin. And basically talking about how we are talking about God making us stronger um, in our heart, mind, and soul. Because Jesus says to love God with your heart, mind, and soul. But he knows that we can't do it in ourselves. So he has to make us strong and unwavering. And then we're not commanding God to do something, but rather crying out. And letting him know that the only way we can succeed is if he does it. That's a very key distinction to make. And let's look by way of cross-reverence at 1 John 1, 8-10. to 10. 1 John 1, 8-10. to 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him... 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. There's another passage that says, Let God be true and every man a liar. So this passage is telling us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We are sinners. That is our natural state. Um, when we are born, but it's also our natural state in the way we practice life. If we are honest, we know that we are sinners. But the only way to be saved from our sin is to know that we are sinners and then to confess that sin to the Lord. And it goes further and says, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. And God is not a man that he should lie. Okay, so God is a truth teller all the time. So we are lying if we call God a liar. James 3, verse 2. James 3, verse 2. James 3, 2 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. There's only one man that could fit that criteria, and that was Jesus. The rest of us have this problem, often, of letting our tongues get ahead of us. Um, and the Apostle Peter was a perfect example. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then when Jesus said, I'm dying on the cross for you, he said, just a little while later, he said, Get thee behind, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew that Peter was saying, Far be it from you, Lord. So the Lord had to say um, to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you're not seeking the things of God. When someone asked St. Francis of Assisi why and how he could accomplish so much, he replied, This may be why. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the earth and said, Where can I find the weakest, the littlest, the meanest man on the face of the earth? Then he saw me and said, Now I've found him, and I will work through him. He won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his littleness and insignificance. I'm reminded of Moses, who when he was a young man in Acts, he wanted to save his people, but he was not ready. He was too full of himself, and so God led him on a journey, and that journey took him to the back of the desert where he led sheep. And then when he was 80 years old, God says, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he says, no, Lord, I can't do it. So Moses' life is basically split into three parts. He spent 40 years in Egypt thinking he was a somebody. He spent 40 years in the desert learning he was a nobody. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness with the children of Israel learning that God could take a nobody and make him into a somebody. God uses the insignificant as far as the world is concerned because he wants the credit when we uh, succeed. He is a jealous God. He does not want to share credit with anyone else. 
he wants the full credit. And so he will use you, not because you're qualified, but because you are actually not. And you actually have given him room to work. So I think that's an important thing to consider as we go on and we realize that he wants to use us. So we've looked so far at how dependence on the word brings understanding and strength and now we look at depend and now we've looked at dependence on God's word brings humility and my final point today is dependence on God's word brings boldness. The Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What is the source of our boldness? The source of our boldness should be the same as was with Peter and John, which is that the people looked at them and perceived that they were unlearned men, but they knew what? They knew that they had been with Jesus. That is the difference maker. So let's look now at Psalm 119. 30 to 32 as we finish up this morning the psalmist says I have chosen the way of truth thy judgments have I laid before thee I have stuck unto thy testimonies O Lord put me not to shame I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart so just looking at this passage quickly he says I have chosen the way of truth. Remember in the previous section he said, remove from me the way of lying. So he said, now I've chosen the way of truth. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, it's all about putting off the bad things so that you can put on the good things. Put off the bad, put on the good. If you put off without putting on, you'll be like the, the man who had the demon and the demon was cast out, but he left his life empty. He didn't fill it with good things and then the demon left and told his friends, I know this really nice, clean body that we can go in and inhabit. And seven more demons came in, and the state of that man was worse than the first. You have to fill the voids in your life when you eliminate a bad habit or a sin from your life. You need to, to fill it with good things so that that sin does not have the opportunity to creep back up. He says, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. And I have to wonder if the psalmist is reflecting here on the way that God has led the children of Israel through the years. Because he has all the testimonies of the ten plagues of Egypt. He has the testimony of when, when the Pharaoh was cast into the sea. He has the testimony of how God constantly preserved the Israelites through the book of Judges. And he can look back and he can say, as you have been with them, be with me. Don't put me to shame. Reward me for trusting you because I'm resting on your reputation. I can't rest on my own because I'm nothing. In my flesh, as Paul says, dwells no good thing. And then he says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. So as we go on in this Christian life, we become more and more like Jesus. Romans puts it this way, that we are to be conformed 
to the image of God's Son. That is the goal of living the Christian life, is to be have a boldness to run the way of His commandments, to not care about people that are going the other way, to know that you know the truth and to rest upon it. And to be unwavering as, as is Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, growing up, I, I heard this common saying. It said, it's better to tell the truth, because when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Because the truth doesn't change. The truth is definite. The truth is solid. And in this era of my truth and your truth, it's so much more important even than it was five or ten years ago to know what the truth is and to stand firmly on it. Because the world wants nothing more than to convince you that the truth does not exist. But Jesus, in fact, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. An enlarged heart in the physical sense is dangerous, but spiritually speaking, an enlarged heart can be a blessing. I will run in the way of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Psalm 119 to 32. If you have an enlarged heart physically, you don't do much running, but if you have an enlarged heart spiritually, you are ready to walk and run with the Lord and accomplish his purposes. When an athlete is running, he is on a path and has a goal in mind, which gives him the energy to continue. That is what God wants for us today. He has a goal for us to reach and a path for us to follow, and he gives us his strength through his word. What does it mean to have an enlarged heart? First, an enlarged heart is open to God's truth. It's a heart that's honest and says, Lord, I want your truth even if it hurts. Second, an enlarged heart is obedient to God's will. It's humble and says, Oh God, what you have said I will do, I am your servant, you are the master. Third, an enlarged heart is occupied with God's glory. It's an happy heart. Some people's hearts are small and narrow. They live in their own little world and have their own narrow view. What a wonderful thing it is to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Our horizons are expanded. We can see what we haven't before. We can hear what we haven't heard before. God gives us an enlarged life because we have an enlarged heart. And that is from Warren Wearsby. And that is so true. Because I've heard it said, wisdom is what we would choose if we knew all the facts. The Bible says that God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be guided into all truth. He gives us discernment to know the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. 1 Peter 3.18 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went in peaceful or in preached to the spirits in prison. That is showing what Jesus did for us. But I'm also going to look at Second Peter 3.18 because I think that's what I I meant to have on there. Um, I, I, uh, no, I, I made a mistake on my notes. So just make a notation for yourself. 2 Peter 3.18 um, says, 
but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So the goal of the Christian life is to grow in grace, and that First Peter passage actually is a good complement to it because it talks about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we have the opportunity to grow in grace. We can't grow in grace unless we start in grace, and we can't start in grace unless we know Jesus Christ because the Bible says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, if we could look at John eight thirty one and 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as we look at this passage, we see here that the way to prove that you are his disciple is to continue in his word. If you continue in his word, then you are his disciples. There's a lot of people um, today that, that say they believe in God, maybe even say they believe in Jesus, but they don't even know what the Bible says. How can you continue in his word if you don't know what he said? And then uh, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There's a lot of people in bondage today because they don't know the truth. Because they think that my truth or your truth is all that matter. Well, since there's one, only one truth, then if you and I have a different truth, that means that one of us is believing a lie. We must come under the influence and the power and the love of the one truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait on him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart. So will you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Andrew Murray. So if you want to be strong in the Lord, you need to cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Remember what Paul said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Which is the total antithesis of the world. Because the world says, don't show weakness. The world says, always be a pillar of strength. And also, the world kind of says the opposite too because the world kind of sees certain displays of strength as toxic. But God's way is to gain strength through Him. When Joshua went to claim the promised land, he was feeling overwhelmed and the angel of the Lord came to him and Joshua said, Whose side are you on? Ours are our enemies. And the angel of the Lord, who I believe was Jesus pre-incarnate, said to him, I am, on, I am not on your side or on their side, but as commander 
of the army of the Lord of hosts in my cup. He's not on our side so much as he's our commander. There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And if we had that attitude that said, Jesus is my Savior, I want him to be in charge, we would be much better off. So just as a quick review as we close, think about these things as you are going through your life this week. We talked about depending on God's word. We talked about dependence on God's word brings understanding and strength. So we can understand what's going on in our world and we can have the strength to go through it. Dependence on God's word brings humility because you realize that only he can remove from you the way of lying. Only he can deliver you to the truth and show you the wisdom of his testimonies. And then finally, we saw that dependence on God's word brings boldness. Once you know the truth and the truth sets you free, you have no other choice but to share it with others. And I hope that this encourages you today to cling even more fully to the word of God. So let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, my prayer for each person here today is that they would love you more fully, that they would serve you more gladly, and that they would be world changers for the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that if they do not yet know you, that they would place their faith and trust in you. And I pray that you would um, make your face shine upon them today and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.